The views and opinions of the guests of the MeUS podcast do not represent the views and opinions of Consumers Energy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Me You Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, I have two very special guests, Jordan Wakeley and Matt Mearsman. Now, before we get into their story, I'll have them introduce themselves. So, Jordan, if you'd introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. Uh, Jordan Wakeley. I'm 32 years old, born and raised in Grayling, Michigan, um, mountain bike racer, ski racer, um, fell in love with the canoe marathon at a very early age. Um, I've had family that have paddled since way back in the day and, you know, following that race and watching my uncle's feet for Jeff and Serge, you know, the, some of the best paddlers in the world. Um, you know, that just, that got my attention and I was hooked from day one of watching that race. Well, excellent. And it's kind of just a sneak peek for the audience. We will be talking about the Osawa Marathon uh, from last year and upcoming this year. Well, thank you for introducing yourself. And Matt, same for you. If you'd introduce yourself, we'll get this conversation started. Sounds good. Thanks, Bill. Um, yeah, my name is Matt Mearsman. I'm uh, 45 years old and uh, born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, just across the border from Michigan. Uh, the river that I live on, the St. Joe River, flows up into Michigan and uh always been a river guy, I guess. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have found some work around the river, started with a canoe rental business and ended up expanding into some natural resources, uh, river conservation work that I do now, uh, both on, uh, on the Indiana side of the line, as well as on the Michigan side of the line. So my heart's always been in the river. And I, I tell folks that I found canoe racing as a way to uh, sort of sanction all the time I wanted to spend on the river. It's uh a little easier to feel better about it when you can tell someone you're training instead of just going out there to uh, explore the river. So um, try to get on as much as I can. So sometimes it's goofing off and sometimes it's actual training, right? But no one needs to know the difference. <laughs> That's right. It's a whole lot more of the training than it is the goofing off these days. But, it, you know, it's it's some people can't believe it when they see you going by at the rate that we go. Uh, but it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, even when you're sweating and breathing hard, it's it's a lot of fun being on the river. Yep, I, I can believe it. And being from Michigan, uh, almost my whole life, spent a little time in the Navy, uh, so I was around water then. But water is a very important part of, uh, of being uh, here in Michigan. So for the audience, what we're going to talk about today is the Consumers Energy Ensemble Marathon. Uh, and I know that back in 2020, we didn't have one uh, because uh, I'm going to use the famous term because COVID hit. And so we did not have our marathon, but last year we did. And I'm talking to the team that uh, crushed uh, the the previous record. Uh, they came in at a record time of 1354.09, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that beat a record that was set back in 1994. Um, but before we get into how you guys did this, because I read the story and it was pretty amazing. Uh, and I do have a question for you, Jordan, about this too. So uh, hang hang on to your head. There's a, a question here about that. Um, but I'm wondering, here's a guy from Grayling. And uh, Jordan, very familiar with Grayling, spent 11 years in the Michigan National Guard, uh, spent a lot of time up there. And then even after I retired in 2010, my wife and I still come to Grayling because I just love it. It's an amazing place to be. Um, so uh, that it's a, it's a great city, a great area. Uh, and Matt, you come, you hail from uh, Indiana. 
So how did you two guys meet? I mean, were, were you like paddling north and south and just having to meet on the river or what happened? Uh, so I've, I've known of Matt for uh, probably 10 years now. Um, I mean, we've crossed paths back in the day when I was just up and coming racing and, uh, you know, I'd heard his name. Um, we were actually both partnerless for a, a canoe race maybe eight or nine years ago. Um, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. You know, Matt called me up day before the race and asked if I wanted to uh, do the race with him. And I hadn't paddled very much at all that year. And I was like, all right, yeah, I've got nothing else going on. So drove up to Paradise, uh, to Kwamanon River Race. And we had never paddled together, just jumped in a boat and didn't have a very good race. Um, <laughs> my my legs fell asleep um, like 10 minutes into the race. And I just, I it took everything I had just to finish that race. And I felt really, really bad um, that that happened. But um you know, we finished it and Matt was super cool about it. And I, I knew from that day on that, you know, Matt was a good guy and he just any other person would have, you know, gotten on me pretty hard about that. Matt didn't. So that, that was, that was a big eye opener for me. Bill, I think what, one thing that a lot of people don't understand outside of the canoe racing world, which is a pretty small world, unless you're in Grayling or uh, down in Oscoda where everyone knows what this thing is. Uh, but you get much out of northern Michigan, and and no one's really heard of the sport. Uh, but there is, if you are interested in canoe racing and you want to compete against the best teams, you go to Michigan. I mean, that's that's just what it is. I mean, there's an argument to be made that uh, up in Schwinnigan, Canada, right now is uh, maybe one of the the hotbeds. There's a lot of young guys coming out of there that are really good. Uh, but for a long time in the United States, anyway, Michigan's uh, had the most competitive canoe racing scene uh, anywhere. And what that means is that we have a circuit all summer long that we're racing just about every weekend on a river in uh, in northern Michigan primarily, but also we get down to Ann Arbor and uh, down to Muskegon and, and some, some of the other rivers down closer to me. So anyway, I've spent almost 20 years now uh, driving to Michigan just about every weekend to compete on that circuit. So, you know, you, you get to know, you, you especially know the names of the guys that are in front of you. And so, you know, uh, Jordan happened to be one of those guys on a year that I didn't expect it. And uh, so certainly captured my attention at that point. And, uh, you know, gosh, just uh, the, the, the story that you may have read. I don't know if you did or not. You mentioned reading some of the stories, but actually, you know, we were aware of each other. We had done that race, uh, you know, gosh, 10 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, but then, you know, Jordan had, had taken his focus back to mountain biking and wasn't really canoe racing quite as actively. And it just happened to be last winter, you know, so two winters ago, uh, I was up in Grayling for a friend's uh, father-to-be party. And I, I went into the shop that Jordan works at, uh, which is an outdoor store, and I needed to get my skis waxed. And uh, Jordan was back there in the back. And uh, the first of the, it basically, it was like, you know, oh, yeah, Jordan's been talking about you. He says he wants to race the marathon with you. I didn't even see him. And I said, shoot, if Jordan wants to race the marathon with me, we'll go out and win the thing. And that's just the kind of confidence that I had. I, I knew this guy was a real athlete. So uh, for me, it was an incredible opportunity uh, to, to give something a shot. You know, and being a local guy, it, it's just uh, really attractive for an outsider like me. I've done a number of races with guys from Canada, with guys from New York, uh, all over the country. And, and I have to be the local. You know, I have to be the one that knows the river. And, and with Jordan, that wasn't the case. He brought the crew. He brought the, you know, all the feed spots, all that kind of stuff. We, it's, it's just uh, really nice. So. So I so I just I want to kind of wrap my head around this, right? 
this is this must be a, sc- a small community if you can if you can pick up the phone and go hey dude like i want to run this race this weekend but i don't have anyone would you do it and then boom it happens now the out the the outcome of the race might not have been good but it looks like the outcome of that meeting uh was pretty amazing in the military we like to say we may have lost the battle but we definitely won the war on that one um, yeah. for sure so jordan i do want to ask though so uh you know Matt comes walking into the shop. You're like, I want to, I want to do this race with this guy. So I'm thinking that you guys have been like, after that first, you know, match made in heaven there, that you guys were like training together and all this other stuff. But it sounds like, nope, it's just the winter before Jordan. You're like, dude, I want to, I want to do this race with you. And Matt's like, let's do this race. And not only that, let's crush it. <laughs> essentially what happened. So what, what made you uh, think of Matt and want to want to race with him again? You know, it's, that's the crazy thing. And like I said, this, the first time we ever paddled together was almost 10 years ago. And we, we had not paddled together since then until, um, last year. So I just, I had a gut feeling. I mean, Matt, Matt's got the results. I've, I've watched him. Um, and I knew, you know, he's a light, solid stern guy. He's the results, the results really speak volumes. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have a great marathon this year and I thought Matt was my best option for that. You know, the first time we jumped on the boat together after not paddling for 10 years, it just clicked. Just it, everything matched up perfect. And I knew right from that first moment that it was going to be a good season. You mentioned it being 10 years. And not only did uh, we not do any races together in that interim, but, you know, I mean, this is the age of cell phones and text messages and everything. And, you know, so Jordan and I had connected that time 10 years ago over text. I had his number in my phone. You won't see there wasn't another exchange for 10 years. You know, I mean, it was like things went black. Uh, but then is, that, is that because his legs fell asleep? Is that, is that why you never called him again? Right. No, not at all. He, actually, he did. He did call a few times to check up on me, make sure I could you know, still function. So that's true. That's true. I did. it, But but no, honestly, Bill, I mentioned it earlier. I think it's mostly because uh Jordan turned his attention towards the bike. I mean, he did have at least one more marathon that I remember, the one that I remember him beating me in. Uh, but it was sort of a, a deal where I, I don't even think, you know, I was on his radar. He wasn't on mine. Just I, I think it was a different kind of year than last year. Last year, he was really focused on, uh, you know, having the best overall performance he could have. Whereas in that other race that I'm thinking of, uh, he raced with a woman from Grayling and, you know, was dead set on winning the mixed uh, battle, which is which is a whole different thing. Well, and I do want to ask a question before before this uh, leaves me. And, and Jordan, I'll ask you first, and then Matt, I'll I'll ask you. So, uh, you know, Jordan, you and you're in your 30s. Matt, you're in your 40s. Um, I remember my 30s and 40s because I'm in my 50s now, and I remember my level of athleticism in uh, in both of those time frames of my life. Uh, but in a lot of sports. 30 and 40 would be considered kind of older for a sport. So Jordan, when it comes to, to paddling from your perspective, um, are you just kind of getting started? Like, like you got a long time to go or are you feeling like, oh, I'm getting a little bit old for this? You know, that's a question I've heard a lot lately. Um, I've been racing my bike since I was 14 years old and I, I feel like I'm reaching the peak age at that. You know, I've got, got these 17, 18 year old kids that are giving me a hard time, you know, at races and paddling. I actually think that I'm just starting to get into my prime. Um, you, know, you look, look at the results from back in the, the day, the last 15 years, the guys who were winning the marathon were 
40 to 46 years old. And that gives me hope um, that there's a, there's, there's a few more marathons in me competitively. All right. Excellent. Matt, same question for you. Cause you're a couple years older. Yeah, just a couple. Um, it's really incredible. And, and when I talk to people about the sport, you know, especially down here in Indiana where no one knows about it, um, you know, the number one thing that I hit on is, is the ability for longevity in this sport is really incredible. Uh, and, and Jordan spoke to it, you know, it, it was just inspi- it's inspiring to anybody who's under 50 that you could still go out and win this race. The guys that were doing it have been. And, and frankly, uh, some of our biggest competition is in my age category. So, I mean, it's not like I'm that much of an outlier uh, at my age, and not only just from the past, but even the current uh, competitors that we're facing. Uh, there's some really good ones that are my age. And then and Jordan and I know this, but there's there's a couple guys out there that are older than me that if uh, if they got into a boat, we could have some trouble with them. I mean, it's it's no joke. It's really incredible. So I don't know whether, you know, where I'm at in terms of my, uh, you know, peak, how much good I got. But I, I I've seen other people do it and I'm determined to do it myself. And, and I love it. I'm putting more time into it than ever before. My body seems to be responding well. I don't have you know, any in, nagging injuries or anything like that. And, and honestly, there's a part of me that thinks uh, the later I get I, uh, in life, the, the more I'm able to give to this. It's just other things are sort of slowing down and I'm able to give more attention to this. So it's kind of encouraging. Well, and that makes sense. And I think the more you take care of yourself, the longer you can do things. And as an example, so a few months ago, I interviewed this guy named Herb Elfring, right? I had heard that he had survived... Uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, and he was turning 100 years old in March. And so I went out and interviewed him to talk about Pearl Harbor. But what I learned was he uh, had this incredible life uh, before he really went to college because of the war. And then he went to college, came to work for Consumers Energy for 35 years. And then 36 years ago, he retired. And through our conversation, I learned that uh, two years ago on the golf course, he hits a hole in one, um, up until two years ago, he was still downhill skiing. You know, he rides his bike, he goes for walks. Uh, it's a testament to, I don't, I don't, I don't think age has anything to do with it. I think it's just determination and whether or not you're taking care of yourself for the most part. The, the, the other question I had too was, so, so this, uh, marathon is just a straight up marathon. Like it's not broken out into age groups or anything like that. There is some bonuses. So, so there, it's kind of nice. Um, you know, the, the main thing everyone's going for is your overall position, but, uh, they offer some pretty, um, good bonuses for different categories, like one man, one woman, I mentioned mixed earlier. Uh, they do also have some age bonuses. So if you're the first team where both people though, it has to be both people being over 40. So Jordan's really holding me back from some extra prize. Um, you know, he's really weighing me down in the boat, Bill. That's, that's the thing. Um, but you know, there, so there are some bonuses like that, but overall, no, we're all competing against, I mean, the women's teams are competing heads up against us. We all start at the same time and, uh, we all got to do the same six portages around the consumers dams. And, you know, there's no, there's no uh, ladies tees in our sport. Yes. And that, you know, it's interesting you say that because my wife is a golfer, right? And she's really good and I'm not so good. She gets to hit from the ladies' tees, but she could hit from the pro tees and still just kick my butt all over the golf course. I I, I don't think I I don't think that's fair. I, I really <laughs> we got a couple women's teams like that too, for <laughs> sure. 
Yes. So, Jordan, I, I do have a question for you. As I looked through this, and, and it it really kind of spelled out how you guys, you know, got in the water and what the competition was like. But it sounds like you guys actually took your lead at the Wakeley Bridge. Is that a coincidence? <laughs> so my whole goal, I, I really wanted to lead the race at Wakeley Bridge. Um, it didn't happen out, happen like that, but uh, probably 15 minutes below Wakeley Bridge, we took the lead. And um, the next bridge we went through, McMaster's Bridge, I, I remember five minutes from going under that bridge, I, I looked back and I told Matt, I was like, you've got to be very, very loud when you call your switches because it's going to be insane at this bridge when, uh, you know, the local boy comes through in the lead. It's it's going to be deafening. That's a big deal. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And for people who've never experienced the Osaba Marathon, the, the the bridges along the way, you know, they shut them down to traffic, they light them up, and thousands of people come out and cover these bridges. And I just don't think people can comprehend without either at least seeing a video of it or being there themselves, ideally, what it's like to to go through at midnight or, you know, one o'clock in the morning and and have that bridge just light up and, and you, you can't even hear yourself think as you go through there. It's, it's And you've been out in the wilderness prior to that. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere, darkness, silence, and you come up on that. It's just incredible. Uh, it's got to be very uh, motivating. Definitely. we got a thing called bridge paddlers. Uh, we talk about people who just light it up at the bridge and so you can impress the crowd and then you got to shut it back down because you can't sustain that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's honest, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm out out running, you know, I'm running at my my pace, right? And then I'll see a car or a neighbor come by, and I'm like, oh, I got to. So I get, <laughs> I get it. Not, not quite on that grand of a scale, but I get what you're saying there. Oh yeah. You know, I had another question too. So you guys talked about feeds, and I I read it in the articles, and so Jordan, can you tell me what that means? So it's uh, you know. The race is usually 14 and a half to 19 hours long. So every three, four hours, we're, we're meeting with a pit crew essentially to get nutrition, you know, bottles, extra t-shirts, paddles, stuff like that. Um, that's without a feed crew, without a good feed crew that you couldn't do that race. Um, it's just, it's not possible solo one run down, like it's not going to happen. So when you uh, you so you talk about like a, a pit stop, do you are these predetermined or can you like kind of figure out like oh you know I'm in this situation right now I'm not sure I want to stop and do this can you like skip around how does that work? They're definitely predetermined, um, and actually last year's marathon success had a lot to do with where we took our first feed and where the other team took their first feed. Um, but later on into the race, I mean, you see. You see your feed team probably every hour and a half to two hours. And if you need something and you don't have that feed plan, you can always get something from them. Yeah. Jordan mentions it, you know, a good, good feed crew, how critical it is. And, and when we say that the feeds are predetermined, that just means like between you and your crew, you've talked about where we're going to feed at. But, you know, really, and fortunately, we didn't have this happen last year, but, you know, a really nimble crew Sometimes there's mistakes. Things happen. You tip over, you lose your food, um, and, and they can respond by finding another spot that may be different from what you had talked about, but to make sure to get you your, your nutrition when you need it. So that happens. And, and some of the best crews, like, you know, they'll find some crazy road end in the middle of nowhere to be able to, you know, get you going so you're not going for full two hours without any food or drink. So it's a pretty amazing thing because, I, I, you know, I picture <laughs> – 
silly me. I picture you guys out on the server paddling along, you know, for your uh, 13, almost 14 hours. Uh, I didn't think about, oh, well, they, they probably need to eat. They probably need to reapply sunscreen. If you're like me, you have to put that stuff on every 10 minutes. You know, uh, maybe I lose a paddle. Maybe I break a paddle. Maybe something happens. So uh, that's good to know. And I, and I don't know how many people in the audience understand yeah. that that's out there as well. Yeah, Bill, on that, like, I, I think it's, uh, you know, canoe racing itself. Again, outside of Grayling and Oscoda, the whole concept of canoe racing seems like an oxymoron. I mean, most people think of canoe and racing as opposite things. Like a canoe is something you do, you float down, you drink a beer, you look at the birds, whatever, you know, it's not something, I mean, if they were to see what we're doing, they wouldn't even think of it as canoeing. And and you use the word of, of the pit stops. Well, for the top teams, these aren't stops. We don't, we don't stop. We literally are going through there at, you know, five to 10 miles an hour. And, and they're just getting in harm's way. They put themselves in harm's way. They're, they're wading out into the river and trying to hand us things as we go flying by in the middle of the night. Like it's, you know, there's been some serious injuries of people getting hit, uh, trying to feed. And it might not necessarily be their team that hit them, which almost makes it even worse. Uh, but there's been people who have some broken legs and stuff from getting hit by canoes trying to feed. So this would be similar to what you see in a marathon where they where they run past the hydration stations and just grab a cup and continue going. Yeah. That 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 kind of completes the picture for me then. You're not you're not pit stopping at all. I get it. That's like changing your tires on the go in a NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could see where people could get hurt doing that, definitely. I kind of want to rewind a little bit back to uh, that fateful day uh, in that winter when uh, Matt, you walked into the shop and Jordan's like, hey, we want to do this. What was that train up like for the two of you? Um, because, you know, you, you think of it, you can think of it in two ways. One from, you know, December, January to July is a long time, but for what you're going to be doing, it's not really a long time. One of the things, and this is really incredible about our sport and makes what Jordan did even, even more uh, amazing is that uh, it's a really unique um I don't want to say motion. It is a motion, but it's it's a really unique muscle group that you have to develop to be able to do this. And and so what you find is uh, you tend to it takes a while before you really come into your to your prime in this sport, if you want to call it that. And it doesn't matter what age you're at when you start, but you need a certain number of years under your belt to really develop not just the skills, but literally the the muscle memory to be to compete at a, at a top level or to compete at your best, let's say. Uh, in this sport. And so, you know, a lot of us who are really going after, we, we don't really ever stop. I mean, we're, we're still training on it. And, and I think when I say it's a little bit unusual for Jordan, I'll let you tell, uh, I'll let him tell you about, you know, how his has been because of his mountain biking career or skiing, either one, he's got a lot of other options and things that he does. But for me, um, you know, I don't stop. I, I paddle all through this fall and into the winter and, um, you know, it, it coming into that that time again, right on the heels of COVID. That's 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 important in this story, I think, and I think it's important in Jordan's story of what he was thinking about at the time. Uh, COVID played a role. Well, same for me. It played a different role, and that is when everything shut down. I was still able to do what I love to do. I mean, maybe I couldn't race at the level that I was racing because a lot of the races got canceled, like the marathon. Uh, but man, I paddled more than ever in 2020. So. You know, I was coming into 2021, like ready for a marathon again, you know, and, and so I had no idea who I was going to you know partner up with. But the idea of like getting back into a big race was 
you know, I'm ready. I felt really, really ready. So Jordan, from your perspective, how did that look for you? You know, with the whole COVID thing, um, all my bike races were canceled and, um, that kind of another opportunity arose, you know, I, I bought a canoe and, you know, I had started paddling. I enjoyed it. And, you know, there was this rumor that marathons probably, it will happen. So I, I started training hard. I skied all winter and, you know, up until the first race of the season, we, we still had no idea if the marathon was going to happen. So we do the first race of the season, we won it. And then after, after the race is over, they announced that, Hey, the marathon's going to happen. And, um, that, that was all that it took for me to, you know, put everything I had into canoe racing. Um, prior to that, you know, I, in the last, I've done my first marathon in 2008, I did three in a row and I took eight years off, you know, that was the peak of my mountain bike racing career. Um, and I, you know, like Matt said, it takes a different muscle group, um, to paddle. And as a cyclist, you want to be as small and lean as possible and paddling packs on the muscle for me, you know, makes it bigger going uphill slower. Um, but like I said, I'm kind of getting at my peak past my prime in mountain bike racing. And I kind of looked at paddling as, the next avenue to succeed in a, in a sport. And, um, that's, I mean, like I said, I think hopefully there's a couple more years of that. So. I don't know. I can't predict things, but it sounds like there might be, (laughs) sounds like there just might be. I did have a question though. So when I read some of these articles that were out there, um, you guys talked about, you guys had a couple of big wins early in the year and all of that, but you had some setbacks also. Um, so Jordan, can you tell me what, you know, what some of those setbacks were and then, and then Matt also, if you want to answer that. You know, like I said, that when when the season started, we we were on fire, like winning every every local race by minutes. And then, uh, you know, confidence was pretty high. And then the two big races on the Asable leading up to the marathon, we actually lost to the team that we figured was going to be our toughest competition in the canoe marathon itself. So, you know, there was definitely some self doubt there. There was some frustrations and. Um, you know, luckily Matt and I were able to talk through it and we, we knew our plan going into a race that's four or five times longer than the ones we had just lost, that we were confident in our ability to have that long, long distance grind as opposed to a two and a half hour sprint, essentially. So I got to, before you answer, Matt, I got to, I got to think about this for a second, a two hour sprint <laughs> um, that's, that's pretty incredible, but, but I guess that's what it is, right? It, that's what it is, especially compared to the marathon. I mean, the marathon, there's the start of the marathon is very fast and hectic, but I mean, when you're, when you're doing these 20 to 25 mile canoe races, they're, they're all out. I mean, you get out of the boat and you're, you're shot, like you're, it's tough on you. Yeah. Jordan and I both, uh, you know, train with technology. We got heart rate monitors and if you look at the data from those things. Uh, you know, you see that the the kind of uh, heart rate that you can maintain for a you know, especially a one to two hour race, there's just no possible way you could do that for 14 hours. So it really is a a different level. Um, and you know, they there they were setbacks from the standpoint of it was a very different result than what we had seen all year. Uh, but we really chose to kind of focus on some of the the good thing that was there, namely we were right there with them in both of those races. You know, they, they weren't like crushing us. We didn't fall to pieces or anything like that. You know, we were right there. And uh, just knowing we had all that extra time in the big one, 
to make something else happen with it, uh, you know, you know, that's what we chose to focus on, I think. And um, I honestly tell people that had we not gone through that, uh, that particular adversity, um, the first loss, especially, I, I don't think that we probably could have trusted in each other the way that you need to be able to do. Uh, the, there's a word I've been using lately. It's like, in order to bury yourself, I mean, in order to go under, to give it everything you have, you got it in a two-man sport. You got to know the other person's doing that. Like, if there's any doubt in your head that they're not giving it everything they've got, there's no way you can, you know, you're going to go to that to that extreme level yourself. So um, I think we kind of had a a real heart to heart about that, and it it, it really for me helped uh, helped us in the long run. Well, I found that I've gained, I've learned the most from the most adverse situations, right? I know people say it all the time, but if you just if you just go out and win every race, you don't learn anything, I don't think. But it's in those times where we're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. That At least for me, that's where I've learned the most and gained the most. 100%, I agree. So I do want to ask you guys a question. Um, you know, I, so for me, I'm in a job that I love to do. And going to work every day is not like work for me, to be honest with you. But I do have those times where I'm like, you know what? I just need a break. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go take do something for me that has nothing to do with work and nothing to do with, uh, you know, any of that competitive stuff. So, Jordan, I'm going to start with you. You know, I know you love mountain biking. I, I know you love uh, paddling in a canoe. But... What do you do outside of that to take care of you? Like when you need to just step away from it all and take a breath, what do you do? Oh, geez. <laughs> Usually it involves skiing or biking or paddling. I mean, that's that's my, you know, my meditation. I mean, I woke up this morning, I was on the bike by 7.30 and I get out of work, I'm going to go paddle. That's That's what I like to do. That's what I need to do to, you know, function and be in a good mood. You know, I... My family knows if I don't paddle or ride or ski, like they know they can, they, they know, Hey, you need to go ride your bike. You know, <laughs> have they, have they told you that? I'm just curious, like get well, out of here, ride your bike. They, they know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So Matt, what about you? You know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting. So fortunately, like you, Bill, I, I love what I do for work. Um, you know, I, and, it, and it's connected to the paddling in a certain way, but the the work has um some real um i don't know what the right word i almost want to say like depressing aspects too when you work in environmental conservation you know it's it's a dark world out there sometimes in the in the hope for being able to turn things around and and uh you know uh really make an impact sometimes it's hard and, and so i will have some dark days where it's not that i don't you know it's not that i don't like the job it's what the job entails is can be hard on me and, and in those times, getting on the river is 100%. That's my therapy. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, going all out or, you know, uh, you know paddling super hard. But I, but I need to get on the water. And, and what's interesting about it is, in some ways, it allows me to disconnect from work and not think about that. But because the work that I do is related to the river, I also have some of my best thoughts uh, sometimes will come to me while I'm out there in, immersed in it, essentially. Um, now, you know, my wife, she enjoys paddling with me. She's not so big on the racing thing. Um, but the other thing that we would do that would be more like, 
um, you know, or I guess should say more different than, you know, this training, getting on the river and paddling hard, you know, we, we enjoy, we enjoy hiking. We've got a couple of great places we'll go and walk and it's, you know, it's active, but it's not, you know, high heart rate getting, you know, crazy or anything. So we'd love just, you know, kind of going for walks. And then honestly, um, you know, going out to eat and having a beer, uh, those kind of things are big for us. You know, really, uh, things I look forward to every week, we don't have kids. And so, uh, you know, we, we managed to try and get out for a nice dinner at least once or twice a week. And, and I got a, got some great breweries that have, have sponsored me in my canoe racing career and they're always happy to see us. And so those, those things help me a lot. Well, and it's interesting you say that my wife and I are both, we're empty nesters. My kids are all there's the kids are still on the payroll because they're never off the payroll, uh, but they're all out of the house. So Friday night is date night for us. So I, I totally get it. We make sure that we go out and we have a good time and we enjoy ourselves. So I can see the importance of that. Uh, now, I did want to ask some, a couple of technical questions about canoe racing. Uh, Jordan, you mentioned, I think that you said that that Matt uh, is a good sternman. Um, so it sounds like you each kind of have your own position in that canoe as to what you're doing. So, Jordan, what's your position and how does that differ from what Matt does? Uh, usually the bigger, bigger, heavier guy um, is in the front, the bow guy, um, usually sets the tempo. Um, no, in charge of watching for rocks and logs and obstacles in the river. So, so for people who, um, again, <laughs> certainly never seen a canoe race, but maybe never even been in a canoe, you've got two seats in a, in a traditional canoe. One's in the front and one's in the back. The one in the front is the bow and the one in the back is the stern. And as Jordan mentioned, just because of the shape of a canoe, it tends to balance better with the heavier person in the front because they have to sit further away from the end of the boat because their legs are in front of them. Whereas the person in the back can slide all the way to the back end of the boat because their legs aren't in front of them. So you tend to have, you know, the smaller, lighter person in the back and the person in the front's a little heavier. Well, there's another thing to it um, that tends to go along with weight conveniently. And that is um, you often have, not always, and, and this is important, uh, but you often have the more powerful paddler in the front. Um, and it's because when they apply power in their stroke, it doesn't affect the steering of the canoe as much as it does in the back. When you're in the back, you have more leverage. So when, when you really apply power from the back seat, you are able to turn the canoe much more quickly than someone in the front applying that same amount of power. Well, if steering were all that we cared about, well, maybe you would put the most powerful person in the back and you'd be able to steer better theoretically. Uh, but in our sport, you know, you actually want to be able to put as much power into going forward as you can. And so by putting the more powerful person in the front seat, more of their power is put into making the boat go forward. And then the person in the back has that advantage of leverage to be able to steer the canoe. And so um, my size has just lended me to being in the stern uh, a lot of my career. Not always. I, I'd say I'd probably split 80-20 uh, in, in the Osable marathons that I've done between bow and stern. Uh, but it's it's pretty hard for me to find uh, someone other than a woman to be smaller than me uh, to go in the stern. So when I do paddle bow, uh, often we don't have quite the right balance uh, that you'd be looking for. Um, <clears throat> Jordan and I, 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 this is, you know, maybe a little bit uh, geeky for your audience or a little bit too much information for your audience. But um, I feel like we, we did some things quite a bit different than what's conventional. I mean, Jordan is bigger than me and he's certainly more powerful than me. So in that sense, we're conventional. Uh, but what we did that I think is a little bit different 
um, <clears throat> than some of the teams that have been successful in the past is uh, Jordan actually did quite a bit of steering from the front, especially up where the river is is small and twisty and technical. Uh, you know, we just kind of worked out a, a way for for him as the guy who knows the river and has spent more time on it than me. Um, he was actually able to kind of drive from the front uh, more than I think has been done in the past. And, and, and that really uh, makes things easier on me. It, it allows me to put more of my power into just taking it where he's he, I can see where he's trying to go with it. And I'm just following, you know, I'm just helping him get there uh, versus like being behind him and trying to, you know, show him where I'm trying to go, which is not as obvious as you can see someone's body posture and stuff when they're in front of you, you can tell what they're trying to do. So if that's the person that's kind of leading the boat, um, if you can work it out, it, it I, I think there's some real advantages to it. So when we look at our, uh, our cor corporate caring culture, one of the things we talk about at Consumers Energy is agility, right? So we, we all know our place and what our job is, but it sounds like just like in our business, uh, sometimes we have to step outside of that and do it a little bit differently to make sure that everything goes well. And a uh, great explanation from both of you, because that explains a lot about why my sister and I uh, attempted to kill each other in canoes a couple of times, uh, because we were just going in circles. But uh, that's a, a different story for a different time, I think. Um, you know, we are getting close to the end of the podcast, uh, but before we go, I would like to give each of you just the opportunity uh, to leave the audience with a message. So I always ask my guests, you know, what would you like our audience to take away from our conversation today? So Matt, I'll let you go first on that. Thanks, Bill. I, you know, you know, just sort of making an assumption that a lot of your audience um, has some kind of connection or awareness with consumers. What I want to say is someone from northern Indiana, uh, a place where we have no public land and no beautiful rivers that uh, the, the management of those dams and the Osable River as a resource for northern Michigan um, is really incredible. And, and the I guess uh, the the cooperation between the power company and the, the people that put on this race uh, is just really appreciated. And and um, I don't know. I mean, even even beyond the race, I feel like before I ever knew there was such a thing as the Osabo Canoe Marathon, my wife and I went up canoeing on the river and the portages were all really well marked. And, you know, it was just this incredible experience. Whereas around here, we got dams that they don't even have a designated port. You know, you're trespassing on private property, trying to find a way around these things. And so the fact that you've uh, and I say you, the fact that the 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 company has been mindful of the recreational aspect of this resource and sort of developed it uh, with that in mind, let alone supporting and sponsoring this event that, that's focused on it uh, is really incredible. So um, for folks out there, what I would want to know is like, check this thing out. I mean, not necessarily the race. Sure. Yeah. Go check out the race. It'd be fun. I'll make sure you cheer for uh boat 63 if you're going to do that, but, but really just go get on the Osable. I mean, just go get on that river and, and, and just experience it. It's uh it's really magical. So uh, I, I feel like canoeing is a way, especially down here where I live to get out into nature uh, in a way that you, you can't otherwise, you know, the, the river carries you along you're moving through, you know, incredible places. And so that is really what motivates and inspires my time on the water is just a desire to be out there. So I would say to you, you know, try to find some, find some of that time if you can, if you get the opportunity or, or make it, make that an opportunity. 
Well, you know, Matt, and I, I couldn't agree more. I know that in my time uh, spent in the National Guard and going to Grayling, at the end of what we call, quote unquote, summer camp, uh, many of us would uh, get in the river and either, you know, just go tubing down the river or jumping in a canoe and having uh, a couple of those beers that we talked about earlier uh, and just really enjoying it. And because I'm from Michigan, it's very easy to, um, you know, take it for granted that we have all of that. But, you know, reflecting back on it, that was a great way to to, um, you know, uh, kind of blow off some steam after a couple of weeks of really hard training uh, to enjoy camaraderie. Uh, to get together with friends, and uh, it was all because of the river and because of the city of Grayling. So, you know, thanks for putting that memory back in my head. I appreciate it. Uh, Jordan, what about you? Well, as Matt had said, you know, the the work that Consumers has done, um, not even just for the canoe marathon, but for public access, um, fishing access, um, boating access, road ends. And it's just, it's it's amazing what's been done in the last few years. Um let alone on top of the marathon, what consumers has done for the marathon is it, it's unfathomable of, you know, the support they're giving us, the paddlers, um, spectators, you know, opening up their, their dams for the race to go through there. And, um, I mean, even this year there, I know there's a new, uh, you know, there's stairs there actually, instead of, you know, getting out at a wall, it's, it makes it a, a tad bit easier on us after 10 hours in a boat. Um, and then the, for the spectators too, it's, it's a lot nicer. Well, again, thanks both of you for joining the podcast today. It was great to get to know you and to learn a little bit more about canoeing. Uh, and maybe next time I go out, I'll be a little bit better at it. Clearly not at the level that you two guys are, but uh, maybe someday. Uh, for anyone who is interested though, uh, the uh, Osable Marathon takes place the last full weekend in July. And this year, as we were talking, it is the latest date possible. So uh, July 30th through the 31st will be the actual marathon. Uh, but come up to Grayling a little bit early because there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on the weekend before, as well as that whole week uh, is really a celebration culminating in this event. And then I'm sure there's a lot of fun things that happen afterwards as well. So Jordan, Matt, thanks again for coming on the podcast. You bet. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having us. Thank you to the audience for listening in today. The Me, You, Us podcast is proudly sponsored by Consumers Energy, leaving Michigan better than we found it. Remember, you can find the Me, You, Us podcast on all major podcasting platforms. So be sure to go out, find us, and subscribe. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's one 800 273-8255. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who is in crisis, you can call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line. And remember to tune in every Wednesday as we talk about the things that impact your personal well-being.